Welcome to Recommissioned, a Battlestar Galactica podcast by LSG Media. Hi, I'm Dean, and I've seen every episode of BSG. Hi, I'm Matthew, and I haven't seen any episode of BSG. On this week's episode, we bring you Season 1, Episode 10, The Hand of God. And now I am seeing things while I'm awake. What kind of things? Snakes. There were snakes crawling all over my podium during our press conference. How many? About a dozen. You're kidding, right? You read Pythia and now you're having me on. No. Who is Pythia? One of the oracles in the sacred scrolls. 3,600 years ago, Pythia wrote about the exile and the rebirth of the human race. And the Lord's anointed a leader to guide the caravan of the heavens to their new homeland. And unto the leader they gave a vision of serpents numbering two and ten as a sign of things to come. Pythia wrote that. She also wrote that the new leader suffered a wasting disease and would not live to enter the new land. But you're not dying, are you? Welcome back to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Dean, that's Matthew. And today we're going to be talking about the hand of God. Matthew Anderson, what do you think, buddy? Oh, baby, this episode is vying with 33 as my favorite. I loved this episode. This was fantastic. So this gave good, me right? everything. Mm. This, this is a fucking popcorn muncher of an episode. Delivered on every front, every it, character. It's a very impressive episode of television, no doubt. And uh, that opening clip that we uh, were listening to with Roslyn and uh, Elosha discussing things like prophecies, uh, the prophecies as mentioned from Pythia, Boy, oh boy, we have a lot to talk about this week, and I'm excited, dude. We're getting down to the wire on season one, and uh, as you heard in the intro, Matt has not seen any of these. He's not spoiled. I am. I've seen them all, and uh, that's the conversational dynamic we're going with, and it's been a lot of fun so far, man. Absolutely. You holding all the knowledge above me while I fucking beg (laughs) beg for pieces and crumbs. (laughs) You're doing just fine, buddy. You're doing just fine. But uh, Hand of God, this is one of the episodes that I've been waiting to cover since we started this podcast. This one, and I was I was really excited for a few moments. Uh, There's another two moments coming that I'm very excited for you to see in this season alone. And some of the highlights of the season so far that I've been waiting for is, of course, I wanted you to see episode 33. I wanted I couldn't wait for you to see Bloomer enter the frame uh, when the Cylons were gathering at the end of the miniseries. Uh, of oh, course, yeah. I was looking forward to the stuff with Leoben. There's a lot of standout moments, but Hand of God has so much going on because there's so many implications as to what it could all mean. What does it all mean, dude? What's going on with prophecies? What's going on with Gaius? What's going on with all of the exciting things that we have here this week in this television show? We advance a lot of subplots. We're doing a lot, buddy. And uh, if this is your first time joining us, one of the things we do here is we open with some initial impressions, a bit of a top-down view of the episode, which is what we're doing right now. Uh, I'm going to ask Matthew his opinion on that stuff in a second. 
Uh, we address a little bit of trivia, which we'll tell you more about, and then we will explicate our way through it uh, and then do some more trivia. We'll wrap with our final thoughts, and that will be that. So, Mr. Anderson, based on your immediate reaction to this week's episode, Hand of God, or The Hand of God, I am looking forward to hearing about your overall impressions on this week's episode. So please, sir, share your perspective, and uh, I'm going to put my foot up. I'm going to have a sip of my drink, put my pen and my notes down, and just listen to your dulcet tones. Oh, baby. Well, this is, you know, it's one of our first full-blown military episodes in a while. You know, this is a... The entire thing is the arc of one operation and all the stakes that it you know holds up, and it's great, man. It's, it's just so fun to watch these characters. You know, I feel like part of the draw of the show for me is how, you know, the, the dire nature of their situation has all, all the military people on their heels from the beginning. You know, they, they are absolutely pushed back from the very start and barely surviving. You know, survival not victory has been the name of the game so far, you know, and I feel, I feel like we've watched Adama and especially Colonel Ty really have to just swallow being like, God, we are just getting, we're just on the ground, getting kicked in the ribs and trying to like contort yourself in a way that the blows don't land so hard. Like that's, that's how this fight has been for them so far. And it's gotta be real tough for those old war dogs to stomach that. And I loved getting a look at them finally saying, Nope, we're fucking attacking. We are pulling yeah. out our sword and we're plunging it in this time. Fuck it. We are, we are, we're backed into a corner. We have been the whole time, but now we are really, we don't have another option. You know, there it's, it's been a tough diplomatic battle between him and Rosalind and all of the civilians, you know, of we're trying to survive here. We're trying to, the human race is just trying to survive this. So military, you know, procedures and attacks are kind of off the books. We just got to, whatever we got to do to get away from them is, is priority. Uh, but now they're so backed into this place that it's like, nope, it is time to fucking draw the sword and attack. And I've been dying for this. I've been so looking forward to it. And it feels, you know, I mean, obviously, especially towards the end, we talk all day about it. Uh, but it's like a, it's it's Star Wars. This is finally Battlestar getting to have their Star Wars moment of right. they get an unsullied, well... I don't think there are no – there's no such thing as a truly unspoiled victory <laughs> in this world. There's still string, hidden strings attached, I'm sure. But it was nice to watch our cast or to watch Lee and Starbuck and all of them pop fucking bottles at the end. And have, we fucking won. We got one over on them for once. And it still cost us. It still wasn't easy. But we got to have a victory. And that – the whole lead up to that, all of it was just – so fun to watch and i can't wait to to get into maybe some of those hidden strings that'll make this victory not quite what they think but it's nice to it's nice to just look at the surface level for once and go oh god at least finally they got a little bit of a taste of victory what a great observation that you know when you when you put it that way and you start to really consider that we've waited 10 episodes for some kind of punching back uh as you say we draw our sword and we plunge in yeah, we're going on the offensive this time. No more will we be running. We're going to have our shot. We're going we're gonna to stake our claim and decide that now is our time. We're going to fight back. It's finally happening. And uh, what a great way to put it because it does change things a little bit. The dynamic changes. You get to go on the offensive. You get to dictate things versus reacting and running and reacting and running. And uh, they addressed that right away with some good dialogue after the credits. 
where uh, Ty and everyone is assessing the tactical situation that they have. And that's a part of it. That is a big part of this episode. Uh, there's some fun effects here. The space combat we get to see is awesome. Clever use of the models, not just to show how we are going to be doing this, but to give the viewer a physical representation of what the actual plan is, because it might not be obvious. Uh, that's great. All of this stuff with Rosalind is incredible. The the moment between her and Elosha is gross. Oh, it's so good. It's a gut punch. It's such oh, yeah. a gut punch. And it raises a lot of questions about the religiosity, as it were, of the series and what it means. Uh, we get to see more stuff with Gaius. Very curious that we decide to end this episode on Gaius looking up at the sky. Just oh, yeah. lots of stuff to it's talk Jesus about. moment. <laughs> yes, lots to talk about here. And uh, I think we are going to get right into it. But before we do... Let's talk a little bit about how the trivia works. Matthew, why don't you tell these good people what we've been doing every week, just in case this is their first episode. Oh, boy. Well, every week, at the end of the episode in question, at the end of the episode, we are covering Dean as the mastermind, as the DM of my Battlestar Galactica <laughs> adventure, and knows whatever, and knows where the campaign is going. He asks me some pointed trivia questions about what my predictions are going to be. He asked me some true-false or, or what, uh, what line of dialogue is actually said by what character in the next episode. So I'm left to predict what I think is real, what I think is going to happen in the next episode, what isn't going to happen in the next episode. And then the following episode, at the beginning of it, we tally up the list and we see how well I did because I, you know, like we've said before, I militantly avoid spoilers. I do not read anything about the show. I do not look up cast lists. I don't do any of that. I, I watch each episode right before we record, and that's it. I don't know anything else out there, even though the internet is crawling with Battlestar spoilers. Crawling. Uh, I do everything to avoid them. So I truly am blind. I have no idea what's going to happen in the next episode. So these questions are my test. <laughs> and, you know, I'll go ahead and say here, I guess we're, we're about to go in see how well I did with my questions. This is the first time I did not go back and look at my my question at the questions or my answers. So I really am struggling to remember how well I did or not. No I, problem. I, I've, I've got my fucking fingers crossed. I'm just sitting here hoping my shivering fucking orphan children all around me waiting on the results of daddy's big bet. Here we go. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, we decided to mix up the trivia, or I guess I did. Uh, makes up the trivia on the last episode. And uh, as Matt said, he, he he explained to you what we sometimes do, how we do this, uh, the, the, the idea behind it. And uh, just to clarify, it is designed to tease without really getting overly spoilery. Um, it does tease a little bit in the some of the stuff coming. So if you've never seen these episodes, this will entice you and maybe get you going, ooh, ah, a little bit. And uh, But it will not fully spoil you. You may think, oh, is this going to happen next episode? And you might be waiting for it, but you don't really actually know because we don't reveal the answers until the following episode, and then you would have seen it, so you're good. So for example, we're about to reveal the answers from last week's episode, which was Tie Me Up, Tie Me Down. So at the, at the end of Tie Me Up, Tie Me Down, I ask Matt some teaser questions about the Hand of God episode, which is what we're talking about now. So let's go ahead and revisit those and see how Matthew did. Oh, boy. So this time around, we just did word association. Oh, I just I right. just gave Matthew a character's name, and then I said three words that 
one of would be relevant to that character in the next episode. So these are very hard and they're kind of shots in the dark, but I thought, ah, fuck it. It's a little easier to prepare for sometimes. Uh, And you don't want to get, you got to be careful as you get into these major through lines at the end of these episodes, as you get to the end of the season, you don't want to be in too much of a situation where you're spoiling too much, revealing too much. You have to be careful in a show like Battlestar. So let's start with this. Rosalind was the first name I asked. And I said, Rosalind, here are the three words, food, snakes, or votes. Matthew decided that it, food was going to be the word associated with Rosalind. Damn. He's sucking his teeth now because he knows that that is not correct. Nope. It was snakes. It was. Numbering two and 10 to be specific. The next one was Starbuck. And I said, sidelines, cockpit, or rack, meaning her bed. He chose rack, probably hoping Starbuck was going to get lucky. <laughs> but the answer was, in fact, sidelines, because she has to watch. She can't participate this week in the actual fighter cockpit. <laughs> All right, children, gird your loins. <laughs> it's uh, going to only get worse. No, you got the next one, two, right, actually. Ooh, uh, so right. let's go over to Gaius. With Gaius, I simply said sabotage, treachery, or wild guess. And he guessed Wild Guess, and of course, Wild Guess is accurate when he just blindly points a finger at a weak spot at the Cylon refinery. So he got that one correct. Yay! The next one was Apollo, and the answers were, or the words were, lighter, helmet, or photo. He chose lighter, so correct. Congratulations. Nice. Very well done, right? The grandfather's lighter. We're half and half right now, right? Yeah, man, 50-50. That's not bad, considering how hard this one was. And then finally, we did... (sighs) For the money. uh, What am I looking for? What did we do? Oh, oh. um, Which one? What the fuck? (laughs) Oh, my notes are so gross. (laughs) Oh, oh, there. Burgers wiped all over him. No, we just said, I think we just said Galactica. Ah. Right? Meaning the ship. Yeah. Oh, no, no. Galactica Boomer. Galactica Boomer. Sorry, I just deciphered my handwriting. Ah, there we go. So the final one was Galactica Boomer. In other words, the Boomer on Galactica. Because mm-hmm. it was each one was a character. We did Rosalind, Starbuck, Gaius, Apollo, and now we're doing Ga- uh, Galactica Boomer. And it was the following. Firearm, poison, or fuel. Matthew guessed poison. Of course, it is fuel. Because her and Crashdown are searching for fuel. Oh, we're still living in the car, kids. You're still in the car. I'm sorry. But you got a full tank of gas. Open the hatchback. <laughs> full tank of gas. And uh, you got some money for some Slim Jims and maybe a couple of cans of Coke. So you, <laughs> you're not dying, but you're doing right. So that was pretty hard. I'm like, you know, let's be real. That was tough. It was. But don't worry. One, this week we go into, uh, we go back to some true faults to make it a little easier for you. So, at the end of the episode, obviously we don't want to do this now, but at the end of the episode, we are going to tease next week's episode, which is called Colonial Day, which won't spoil anything. And um, we're going to ask Matt some teaser questions about Colonial Day at the end of this week's episode, um, but that's going to come later. So why don't we kick this one off? Why don't we explicate our way through the episode proper? Yes, yes. All right, baby. So we get kind of this cool open where we fade in. This was unique, right? Absolutely. Mid, mid a press conference that uh, Rosalind is giving. I like that. I like the fade in. I like, I like the use of this here. And we go right to a press conference. And we are in 
what we like to call uh, a crisis. Uh, this oh, is yeah. something that the Battlestar Galactica board game by, God damn it, what's the name of that? God, this is so embarrassing. <laughs> Fantasy <laughs> Flight. Fantasy there Flight Games has a board game, a Battlestar Galactica board game that's outstanding. It's very good. And one of the mechanics of that game is, is that every turn there is a crisis. And it's perfect because in Battlestar Galactica, there's always a crisis. In the always. board game, it's fuel, food, and morale. <laughs> it's we can see how they got their inspiration for the board game because we open in the middle of a fuel crisis and i gotta be honest with you crisis might even be an understatement this is a severe emergency based on yeah. the numbers they give in this press conference which is 36 days in space down to five percent reserves and she explains that as, you know, later on in the episode, they talk about raptors doing multiple jumps because they're smaller. But I think what sure. they mean here is that they have two more fleet-wide jumps Correct. in their fuel. Like if the entire fleet needs to jump at once again, they can do that two more times. And that fucking spent. is awful. That's Because that's the only defense they really have. They do not have enough of a military force to stand their ground and defend themselves. They sure. have to run. One of the greatest strengths in, uh, in uh, any military engagement based on things I read about other people doing battles, not myself, is, um, is mobility. If you can't move a force, if you lack mobility, it's really hard to be effective in battle, all things considered. Um, I, think, I think I read somewhere a surprise is, of course, one of the greatest elements you have in any combat. Oh, yeah. Uh, now, this episode got me thinking about the art of war again. And I was sure. reading some pieces of it and chunks of it. And it's already got me at one of the quotes I, I was looking at. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just focus on the end of it. But one of it says, concentrate your energy and hoard your strength. Keep your army continually on the move and devise unfathomable plans. Right. Which we see some of that in this episode, the way Adama reacts. But but like you said, this is already the, – the stakes here are that they can't move. You know, the only – especially in their situation, being the, the smaller force, they really got to stay on the move. And that's, right. that's what they're at their limits at. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. So they talk about the two jumps, as you mentioned. Uh, and the, the, uh, the reporters put a lot of pressure on her, hence the term press. <laughs> They, re right. <laughs> they really put the pressure on her. and They uh, really want a cup of Rosalind juice. They really do. <laughs> Freshly squeezed this morning. <laughs> but they, uh, yeah. And that's when Rosalind, through the stress of the situation, through Kamala extract, through prophetic <laughs> dreams, question mark? Right. We don't know. She starts to have visions of lots of different serpents crawling all over the podium, crawling around on her hands, she gets distracted to the point where the press literally stops and they are confused as to why she is reacting the way she is. She yeah. simply ends the press conference, exit stage left. The press is dumbfounded, still standing, reaching out with their recorders with vacant looks on their faces. Like, what is happening? Or yeah. more, more like confused looks than vacant. And, and uh, that ends the press conference. What were you thinking here, Matthew? Well, for one, I was admiring, you know, take out the prophetic, strange vision about the snakes. It's already a tough situation. You know, the, the, the question that one reporter asked of like, well, okay, so that's a situation. Do we have a contingency for running out of this right. fuel? And she knows that she has no real answer for that. Right. Um, and that alone, having to face the press and face, you know, basically the, the ear of your entire populace, 
and have no real answer to remain, you know, to remain composed and and you know because that's in a way they're talking about the crisis is fuel, but this this moment right here is where your morale is going to go. The president has to stand there and give off at least an effect of we can get through this. You know, do not give up hope. You know, we <laughs> we have to keep morale up to keep going. And so that alone is a tough issue to remain composed in. I really admire the fact that she's handling that issue and having visions of snakes so vivid, she's seeing them on her and probably feeling them on her hands, but has the self-awareness to know that this is just a vision. Like I'm just seeing this and not really react other than remaining silent. Like she doesn't jump back. Like it was amazing to watch as she's standing and she slowly pulls her hands away from the podium (laughs) out from underneath the bodies of all these snakes. And it's just like, you can tell in her mind, she's like, okay, hey, that's not real. It's not real. They're not going to bite you. You have to remain calm. You're the fucking president of the human race. You know, it's like, God damn, what a, what a, bitch of a situation but um but yeah no and this again makes me wonder where civilian morale must be after this press conference where what what do they say that yeah so the president informed us we have two jumps worth left of fuel and then called the press conference short and left not a good situation not uh, at all and uh i think it's it's important to say that how do i want to say this the idea that the president has to... All right, let me, let me back up. We, we compare the show a lot to uh, Star Trek The Next Generation. Rightfully oh, yeah. so. We do. I mean, we know that we, we've said it before, but our buddy, our buddy uh, Ron Moore, a series creator, uh, did some work, quite a bit of work in Star Trek. And I got to tell you, one of the things that Star Trek Next Generation introduced was civilians mixed among the military ranks. Because it was a ship that had, quote, families on it. In the original series, the Enterprise did not have anybody that was not in Starfleet on it unless they were being transported for some reason. They did not live on the vessel in question. Yeah, it was purely a military expedition. Right. In, in Next Gen, they did because it was going to be longer, multiple-year missions where you don't come home. And they thought, we're going to try to improve morale. Where, you know, They had all these reasons for it they don't really get i guess they get into it a little bit on the show but that that was their thought process now you could argue that those families on the enterprise d and next gen are in fact kind of military because they're all there they're not there outside of their like if you don't have somebody working on the enterprise you're probably not on it so it's families of the crew people and then you have where ron moore did a lot of work deep space nine where you oh, yeah. absolutely have that. Quark is a civilian who owns a bar. He has nothing to do with anything, but it becomes this intrigue and military hotspot. And I like that in Battlestar Galactica, we see another version of that, which is you have the military responsible for the defense of this civilian fleet, but the civilian fleet is so intertwined in the daily lives of the military that you can't separate them if too effectively and news starts to travel. You have civilian commanders of some, or, or civilian captains, uh, merchant marine-esque of some of these ships and the military's business becomes the civilian's business because in a sense, they do rely on the civilians in a way. And, yeah. and if they didn't, what the fuck is the point of fighting to just survive on the Galactica, <laughs> right? If you're the last people right. on earth, that becomes a lot more of a grim idea. Uh, and I, I'm serious, man. This is a, this is a really neat thing. 
It's something you rarely see in military science fiction, which is, oh, we have to have answers that we have to answer to the civilians. That doesn't yeah. usually happen. You know, it doesn't, depending on what you read, if you're into like John Scalzi or Starship Troopers or whatever, it's, that's usually not a consideration. Yeah. In Battlestar Galactica, it really is. And it has to be handled. And uh, that's where Rosalind comes in, this this civilian leader who is essentially the commander-in-chief of the military, too, technically, right? Um, yeah. Yeah, it's a cool dynamic. And and I like that we're really seeing it play up. And, and uh, we're going to see some more of it, I think, in some future episodes. <laughs> oh, yeah. And even, you know, in real life, like examples of times where you know uh, a military coup or a military junta takes over a country in a time of emergency or something like that and you know the general then becomes you know leader for a while and usually you know those things are unstable unstable you know uh, forces throughout history like that of course that is a tenuous situation it's very hard for a military to become now not just a force to defend the country but to run the country that's usually stuff that doesn't last very long or if it does it gets really tumultuous and you have more overthrows so i like the idea here that one of the really most uh, long running stakes of what I, I get the sense will probably be the entire series is the military having to very much adjust to being both the defenders and kind of an arm of the administration of a civilization and and a very active one in that. And so that's a, that's a tough pivot for, you know, men like Adama and Ty. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. And, and, and you can see the devastation, the, the devastating effects that morale can take long term if you have, if you, have uh, you know, tanks and, and armored vehicles and men with machine guns hanging out in your neighborhood. That's right. <laughs> this, 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 curfew time. It's a, yeah. it's a not a strong. It's not a great. It's a not a very. Uh, it's not. It's not. It doesn't help your sense of liberty. It doesn't help. You know, if you were if you start getting pulled over by guys in armor with fucking ARs and uh, lights on you and sirens and bullhorns and it becomes this big thing every time. And that's, you know, that's, that's a difference. And, you know, that's where, uh, in, in, in today's world, you have this, this argument where, you know, militarization of the police, what does that mean? What does that look like? And then when you think about soldiers and that's something Adama has himself has said, which is the military cannot become the police. He, yeah. he said that in this show and he's absolutely correct. The, the military cannot become the police. They are not trained to, they're not trained to deescalate civilian bullshit. That's not their purview. <laughs> right, yeah. They're designed to enter hostile areas and engage in combat with hostile forces. That's what they're supposed to fucking do. They're not yeah. there to go into a house and to concern themselves with uh, Joe Bob punching Curly Sue. That's not, that has nothing to do with what they, they have no interest in that. That's not what they train for. That's not anything that they're supposed to do. And uh, it's funny to think about it that way. And in Battlestar, it has to be kind of that way in a sense. There really is no way to police a fleet in a civilian capacity that's where no. that's where the colonial that's where the colonial fleet comes into play i'm sure if you do a little bit of research into the battlestar galactica universe that every planet has some sort of police force local to it it probably oh, yeah. even has some sort of customs type of uh you know civilian fleet that answers to some sort of political body where it has to police things coming into and out of the atmosphere. I'm sure, I'm sure things like that exist. The colonial fleet is not a police force. It can't be, but here it is. It has to be. 
and uh, it gets it gets pretty interesting. Now, I don't want to go off on more of a tangent on this because this episode really doesn't deal with that, but it has come up in the series before, and I just think it's important to note that because of the this really thin line between civilian and military in this show, and that's where Rosalind comes into play, and she's answering for the fucking problems of, of fuel ex- expenditure and... They want to know what's going on, and she has to have answers. They, they, they're asking, hey, what's going on, lady? We need to know. We got all these captains. We have 47,000 people, right? How many? Yeah. There's, there's 47,898 survivors at this point. So take away the 20-something characters we know. <laughs> That's a lot of other people exactly. that need to know what oh. the fuck is going on. Yeah, are demanding answers. Absolutely. And, uh, man, that's tough work. That's going to be tough, tough work. Absolutely. Here's something the show does in the next scenes, which I love. And it's, we have Crashdown and Boomer. They're looking for Tilium. Uh, and we know uh, Boomer busts Crash's balls about Davis and how she's into him. And uh, they find Tilium right away. So this was a bit of a contrast, which I appreciated, to the water episode where they are searching and searching. And the, and the, and the dramatic action becomes the search. In this, the dramatic action is not the search. They get the search out of the way right away so they can get right to the military op, which I appreciate. Before the opening credits, they find what they need. Mm-hmm. It's there. Boom. And um, they find it covered or crawling with, I believe is the term they use, Cylons. So they have to bug out to avoid detection. That's the cool thing about these Raptors. They have this long-range sensor suite, and they can yeah. really pick up on guys far away and, and bug out before they get noticed. And we go right and to not our- only that... Can't they also camouflage themselves to sensors? Others, like to the Cylon sensors? Is, or is that? I'm not sure, sure they can do that as much as, I mean, they can deploy countermeasures, but then they know that you're in the area. Yeah. They can make but it they're, hard they're, to be locked onto, but if, yeah. you know, they run silent. I think we've seen them try to run silent before, try to t- cut the engines and coast in or whatever. That's right. Stuff yeah. like that they can do, which anybody can do. But um, they have a, a real, a real, they're, they're, they're survey vessels, they're recon vessels. And yeah, uh, they can detect really far out. They can, and and they can. They do have uh, countermeasure capability as well. But once you use countermeasures, it's usually an indication like, okay, somebody's out here. We just don't know where. Yeah, absolutely. Best to not be detected at all. I think. <laughs> yep, and that's what they do. They do make the good call to get the hell out of there as fast as possible. Right. We go to the exterior of the fleet, and then we quickly cut to the interior of the fleet, and we're on the CIC. Ty notes that there is enough Tilium to last a couple years, which is great news. On the CSC, we see Adama, Apollo, Ty, Gaeta. They start to discuss the tactical situation here. And this is where we get into the Ty's not liking these odds. Apollo seems to agree because then he starts to offer additional searches, maybe some searches that go further away. And Ty reminds him, that's not going to work. We don't have the, the fuel to go out searching. You understand the tactical situation, Apollo. And that's yeah. when Ty says, I don't know what we're going to do. And Dom says, we're just going to take it from him. That's it. Yeah. I love, loved that. I got, I knew where this episode was going yep. from that moment onward. And I had just a raging Adama boner. I was like, <laughs> yes, here we are. This is, you know, I, I couldn't find the exact quote in there. I'd read it a long time ago, but there is another Art of War uh, quote, essentially like that. Like when you are seemingly on your heels, that's the time to strike. You you yep. you strike then. When your when your enemy thinks that you know they have it over you and the battle's over, you strike back hard. 
And sure. that's that's the moment here. And of course, like we already said, unfathomable unfathomable plans. That's one of the points Adama brings up here. He's saying they don't know we're here. For once, we finally have something over on them. We know where they are. They don't know where we are. This is this is our first advantage we can flex. It's awesome to see that they have the advantage of intelligence, which is we know you're there. You don't know we're here, and we're going to start planning to attack you. And this this goes back to what I said at the outset, which is the surprise element. It's such a huge advantage because you can dictate the pace. And exactly. it's awesome. It's cool to see. And whenever he just says, we're going to take the Tillium from the Cylons, you're like, okay, pal. <laughs> guess we're going to... And there's a real dramatic pause and then Ty's oh, like, yeah. I'm not sure. And Adam's like, no, no, this is the time. This is exactly the time. And failure yeah. here means the game is over. Yep. And then so we don't lose. That's right. We move quickly into Starbuck briefing the pilots. She's discussing pulling seven Gs as well as other things that will be necessary. And then Adama interrupts the meeting to have a sh- uh, have a quick few words with her. She asks about the the uh, the pilots, their how they're doing, and then he gets right to his point, which is. We're planning it up. She says, I know, I heard. And he wants some out-of-the-box thinking. And she says, that's where I live. Talk to me about this scene. Oh, I love that. I love it. We cut back to his face after that line. He really doesn't react. But I can imagine. He's just like, if my face weren't grown out of a redwood, I'd be smiling. <laughs> right. <laughs> Fucking. Oh, it's so good. But yeah, I like here, you know, the, the closing line of what Starbuck is saying to the pilots before Adama comes in. You know, they're saying, well, how often does this maneuver work? You know, how often are we going to be able to actually dodge? And she's like, well, that just depends. And also depends on how hard you pray. That's one of her points again. And we talked about this in some yep. of the past episodes that she is, she is kind of steadily becoming one of the more overtly religious characters, which I would not have thought of. That was another development that I did not see coming with her. Yeah. Um, whereas I feel like Adama is religious enough to – not hinder morale. I feel like he, you know, I don't know how much he feels it himself. Uh, whereas she, I think, really is a you know a genuine believer. So I like I like that little note of you know where it reminds us that she is one of the people on board who believes, and she probably does pray while she's in the cockpit. And I can imagine she attributes some of her successes to that. Yeah, uh, which, she literally wrote that on the whiteboard. Yeah, one uh, of the steps. Pray. I, I think the final step was pray. It's uh, defeating the Cylon, uh, detecting, detecting or defeating. Let me see if I can see it. I think it's defeating the Cylon missile. She writes, one, see it, two, put it on your three nine line. That's got to be some kind of pilot jargon. Three, countermeasures. Four, turn hard into it. Five, pray. Whew. There you go. Pray hard. Well, we know, we know that there is some prayer in that woman. We do know that for sure. But I do like this. I like how Adama comes in and he talks to her, but he doesn't address the pilots really because that's her job. He doesn't want to step on her toes because that undermines her authority, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's nice. I like that a lot. And um, it's nice. He tributes that she's the outside of the box thinker. I've got lots of, you know, and it's funny because we've already kind of set this up because we see Ty and Lee both being like, well, when you you measure these these, uh, statistics here and we have these numbers here, oh, this doesn't work out. And he's saying, well, no, we got to fucking make it work. Like that's too bad. Like it doesn't matter if the hard numbers don't look exactly the way we want them to. We're going to have to make that work. And I like that the very next scene is him going to her because this is the person who can make that work. It's great. So Starbucks briefing them, we leave this scene. Rosalind speaks with Elosha about her visions, and we have some things to talk about here, I think. 
boy, oh boy. Yeah, this is this is maybe the cra- you know, there's a lot more action-packed and intense moments throughout this episode, but this is maybe one of the most maybe the most important scene of the episode as far as the lore of the rest of the show and yeah, the I overarching agree. direction because well for one, before we even get into what they, you know, word for word what they're saying, one of the things about the show that is still perpetually like Fascinating me and confusing me, all in a good way, is, you know, questions of faith in shows and movies. That's that's nothing new. Like, oh, you know, take whatever, you know, uh, fictional universe or our universe. Oh, this is a religious, you know, people or this religion. Is it real or is it not? Or we have faith. But I, I've never been so suspicious of visions and the faith of people in the show, not because of being a skeptic or like a non-believer, but for the possibility of it all being manipulation on the part of Cylons. Because right. when when Rosalind has these visions, what I immediately think of is Gaius and his visions with Six. Like, she's not there. You know, he's seeing her there and he's feeling her there, but no one else is seeing it. And that seems to be the exact same texture and dynamic with the snakes and that vision, which makes me go, is this something that they implanted in her? Is this something... They are beaming into her brain the same way they are with guys. I don't know. They're making, you know, they're, are, are they the sculptors of this prophecy and they're helping to shape it and make it happen? Like that's that's the question I keep coming back to. And I've never, like that's such an interesting way to approach like a religious faith is, and you know, because the question of believing or not believing is, is a fairly standard one at this point. But in here of being like, well, maybe it's not a matter of believing it or not believing it. It might not be what, anybody thinks it is at all and ah it's so tenuous and i just i still don't know what to think i mean the the show has only prodded me more i it's not offering any answers yet it's just laying out more and more of it and i'm more and more suspicious of it isn't that funny when i i i will and again i know that i've seen the series i do know the fate of these characters and uh, i'm saying that as a precursor because what i'm about to say was my genuine curiosity when i first saw it so don't read into this if you haven't seen future episodes uh, any of you obviously not you matt and that goes for anybody listening who is has only seen up to the hand of god and that's this when i first watched this episode and the way they've slowly unraveled the idea of prophecy the idea of god slash gods when every Elosha dropped this prophecy, I thought to myself, for a split second, I went, holy fucking shit. This prophecy's real, and she is doomed. Yeah. That I mean, was it's... my initial reaction, and I'll never forget it, because it was this, this scene. There's a lot of things that happen in Battlestar Galactica through these first 10 episodes. This scene has always stood out to me. This is as memorable as when she's told she's sick in the beginning yeah. of the miniseries. This was as memorable as that because of Elosha saying, uh, you know, the I think it's something we learn about Pythia. Let me see in my notes here. Uh, uh, we learn about Pythia and the Sacred Skull. She says, the exile and the rebirth of the human race, the new leaders suffered a wasting disease and would not make it to the new land. But you're not dying, are you? Oh, God. What a great little cliffhanger for that scene. We hold on Unreal. Rosalind's face as she's kind of in a way a slight grin almost like son of a bitch you've got to be kidding me like 
because I mean, that's what's so striking about this. I mean, it's not like one of those vague prophecies of like, oh, and a leader will have visions. It's like, no, a leader will have visions of this exact number of snakes who is the leader of the caravan of the last of the human race and is dying of a disease. It's like, whoa, right. that is exactly to every fucking detail exactly what this is. I mean, that's you can't possibly not notice. Now, I want to press you a little on your, speaking of press, on your, <laughs> on, on your suspicion of Cylon fuckery here. What oh, do yeah. you, what do you, for example, play it back for me. Work through it logically a little bit. Like they decide that they know these humans wrote Pythia, or are you saying that they wrote Pythia for the humans many ages ago and they're trying to manipulate them to this prophecy for whatever reason? Or are you thinking that it's none of that? It's that they know the prophecy because they are fucking machines and they have the information in their heads and that they're using some sort of communication technology to manipulate the fleet. Uh, what what is it? What do you think? What do you think you're settling on at this point in terms of that part of it? The closest thing for me is that for whatever the Cylon overall plan is, is that they have deemed it useful to convince the humans that their religion and their prophecies are accurate and. If by not, you know, if you know that, if you're the Cylons in the situation, you're sitting, you're, you're the Cylon hive mind overlord or whatever the hell controls them, sitting there going, okay, what do we want to do with the human beings? And you're, you have, you know, I'm imagining them in a way as a supercomputer with an access to all of human knowledge and history and culture and all of that. They can review it like, you know, they've got one big human civilization Wikipedia and they can dig through it and read whatever the hell they want. Um, and if they can dig through the, our religion, just like we could, you know, look at some of their lore. They would see, okay, here's their prophecy. This is what they go off of. Their religion is based on this. These are the aspects of their prophecies. What can we do to nudge them towards believing that? Or what can we, how can we manipulate their leaders, their people, push them along, give them visions? Because we have the power to do that. Like we've seen that. Like that's something that's not speculative. We know they have the power to impart themselves as a vision to somebody. You know, maybe that's done with well, a microchip. Well, wait a second. We know that they can, we know that Six can communicate with Gaius. Yeah. Right? Well, so that's make, the thing. We know the Cylons have the capacity, the technology to do that. Right. Yeah, I guess you could say it that way. I'm just saying, I, 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 I say it at this point, we know what we know, which is Six can communicate with Gaius. Does that mean the other Cylons can do the same? I don't really know. But one thing I would ask you about, and that's this, and this is just me playing devil's advocate slash I want to engage your curiosity, and that's this. <laughs> what we do know is, is that Leoben talked a lot about the one God, and we also know that Six does the same thing. We know that the Cylons at this point talk about their own single God prophecy. Oh, yeah. And we know that Leoben and Starbuck did not agree on this. He said one God. She said, no, there's many gods. And he's like, I don't know about that. And um, so do you, what I would ask you is this, do you think, just, just take society today, do you think that if some sort of machine intelligence was trying to manipulate, say, America, that they would give President Obama visions that are religious, or do you think that would damage his credibility with the people? Do you see my point? Yeah. Oh, I can totally imagine. Hey, <laughs> well, I we would be machines. like, shut the fuck up, dude. <laughs> Uh, messiah complex but no i mean i could imagine like them making a false prophet kind of thing like i see like and and giving them 
enough credence or making what looks like miracles happen so that people that he gains a following and gains and pulls influence away from other actual leaders and things like that to just disrupt. Okay. Um, so you're, you're thinking this yeah. is a more of a more, sabotage, more right? sabotage. Yeah. Okay. Kind, yeah. Sowing dissent type of stuff. Maybe if we make the human leader believe that she's this religious icon and, and we go. really play into these scrolls and this stuff that's written in, in scripture that she's going to be somebody who is a sick and be desperate already enough to believe this stuff. And maybe we can cause a rift between her and the military and disrupt that balance, which gives us an opportunity to exact our plan. That's you're thinking more simply than I, I guess I was assuming originally, right? Well, something like that, or maybe even just a long-term plan of, you know, if you could, if you, if you were the Cylons and you got, you know, you take the whole of all of the prophecy that, you know, all of this will be done because it leads the human race to earth and we'll find earth and you can get, you know, your Rosalind, the president believing this and going down this path that I, Oh wow, I am the one, this is true. We are headed towards earth and you get them to maybe, you know, months or years down the line, make their final jump to what they are assured of. You know, they've seen the last piece of the prophecy that this is the coordinates to earth and they jump there and there's fucking nothing there except a Cylon trap or, or who knows what, like you could, you could basically manipulate them right into a trap or whatever you wanted right. by you know by the means of executing their prophecy as if it were true. Gotcha. Okay, I like it. Good so stuff. That's something like that. Yeah. Yeah, I got you. I got you. I like where your head's at. Yeah. So, but boy, she gets the gets a kick in the gut with that information. That's for sure. Gotcha. And oh, I, I still wonder if she said anything to that of whether she's dying or not, or if she just mm-hmm. left quietly. I guess we're gonna have to wait for that. <laughs> Well, Apollo shares his plan with Starbuck and Adama, and the reason it is his plan is because he is the captain of the air group or commander of the air group. So he's talking to the people he's supposed to be talking to, which is your your senior officers here. And um, she is present, meaning Starbuck, and she says, this is a perfectly discussed or perfectly uh, textbook. Yeah, this is textbook. It's great. It's wonderful, which is exactly why it won't work. Yep. Ty's like, I'm sorry, how many years did you spend in war college again? He's all butthurt. <laughs> oh, yeah. And Adama okay. goes, listen, she's not weighed down by conventional thinking. And no, with all due respect, we just aren't as crazy as she is. And that's when <laughs> Starbucks says, listen, we need to make their tactics work for us. And uh, she says, here's what I would do. Then we get this real cool transitory shot where we see the tail end of her plan. I like that a lot. Oh, um, no. So, like, the camera kind of fades out, and we come into the <laughs> we, end of the plan. Also, it's just a very small moment, but I love the little wink from Starbuck yeah, yeah, to die. Yeah. <laughs> the little fuck you wink. Oh, yeah, my God. Nothing like a fuck beautiful. you wink. <laughs> Get you through the day. <laughs> so good. Sips your coffee. Beautiful. Rosalind is present now uh, when we get this little quick time pass. and uh, this, yeah. She needs decoys. She needs three civilian ships. Uh, they're going to jump into the extreme range of the base, and we're going to draw the raiders away to check out these civilian vessels. There Once the raiders, you know, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, call me crazy. One of the few, and I mean, it's very. I mean, I think their plan is super interesting. I love watching it play out, and then you know, take it from the board to real life and seeing it executed. It's really satisfying to watch. But the whole time, as they're starting to discuss this plan and show, you know, we have the pieces for the raiders on the board, and they're they're showing how they're going to use a decoy to Roslyn. I kept thinking, wait a minute, you have a person in the room who knows how to fly a Cylon Raider, and you have a Cylon Raider. Right. How is that 
not being incorporated into the plan. Like that seemed to me, and I, I understand how later on it's like, well, Starbuck can't fly right now. She's not ready right. to fly to fly a Viper. But I'm still going, is there really no way you can't get – I mean, in my mind, I was also you could if you could identify the place to blow up, which, which is what they eventually do. It's like why not just fucking take that Cylon Raider, load it f- to the fucking gills with explosives, and kamikaze it right into the spot you need. Like they're not going to even notice it coming in because it's just another Cylon Raider. I'm like, that's boy, that seems like a you know, clap the dust off your hands. We're done here. Easy plan, right? Uh, but I don't know. That was my only criticism. I was like, really, guys? It seems like you have such a fucking trump card and you're not using it. I think you answered the question though when you said Starbucks can't. Fly right now i mean unless yeah. they can make it a drone of sorts but um it yeah. is and i and i could imagine them that's such a game changer that is something that is so valuable and probably impossible to seize hold of again that you might really hold on to that for like the most desperate last ditch situation i think you know? so like, because it's a coin flip because if they yeah. if they go oh that raider's not behaving properly destroy it then the plant then you then you the fail it's gone right yeah it hinges on hinges one on thing. one thing right there's not enough this it's a it's a it's a <laughs> it's a risky as fuck but oh, anyway yeah. it's all risky baby of course <laughs> starbucks suggests making their tactics works uh work for them uh we do the uh transitory shot of course where i said that and then they talk about jumping to extreme range to draw the raiders away. Uh, once the raiders break, okay, so here's what they're gonna do. We're gonna have these three civilian ships jump into the extreme range of that base. This is gonna cause the raiders to pull their fighters in an attempt to intercept these three ships because they need to investigate them. Oh yeah. Once they do, we are going to jump from Galactica into the extreme range uh, uh, of the base and attack it. So while the raiders are being pulled away by the civilian distraction, the vipers are going to fly in and attack the base. And Adama reminds Rosalind, you know what? Sometimes you got to roll a hard six. So we're hoping they take the bait. She's like, well, if they don't, what does that mean? He's like, well, I guess we'll find out. <laughs> yep. And their, their idea is that once they take out the base, the remaining uh, raiders will not have a way to refuel or, or you know, re-ammo. And they're just going to be stuck flying around out. like bee, yeah. you know, bees without a hive, and they can just mop them up. Right. So later we see Ty Starbuck and Gaius studying recon photos of the base. They brief Gaius on the plan. Uh, I, I love, <laughs> there's something that I always remember about this episode is this scene too, where Gaius is in this room and they're going over this recon photo of the base. And I just love the top-down light. I like how it's low-lit. Oh. I love the contrast of Gaius standing in the light and you have Ty and Starbucks standing in the darkness in their starched up nice military uniforms talking to this. Spotlights on you, sweaty boy. Oh, it's outstanding. It's so good. I like like how he's being glib and cute here, (laughs) uh, showing his, his fucking brilliant mind. But at the same time, they're standing in judgment over him. They're wondering if he can help. They bring him in here. They, they say, you're the Cylon expert. What's going to happen? And essentially what he says, if I'm wrong, jump in. Uh, they brief guys on the planet, destroy the facility, but they can't destroy the Tilium. They need it. Uh, and he says, well, nukes won't work because the fallout would render the ore inert. Because if you're going to destroy a base, you could simply nuke it. They do have those warheads. got to nuke the site from orbit. It's the only way to be sure. That's right. That's not going to work, though. So nope. Gaius makes a suggestion. Hit the station tanks 
where the unrefined helium would be, and that will cause a major explosion, but there will not be any fallout, so you will not render the ore inert, because that's the problem. And nukes render the ore inert, and when the ore is inert, it cannot be refined into fuel, and then what the fuck's the point? Yeah. So they ask him where they are, and he doesn't know. So he goes into his head movies, and he starts to talk to Six, and she's like, I don't know sex anything. Palace. Yeah, I don't know anything about Tilly Moore, which I loved. <laughs> I like how she's like, why are you asking me this question? Right? Yeah, and I still, I can't tell, even having watched the episode now and looking back, I can't tell if she's being coy and fucking with him and being like, I don't know. Whereas like, oh, come on, you're a, you're a t- you are a hive mind to a supercomputer race. You fucking know something about Tillium Moore, <laughs> you liar. Right. Uh, and I got he's like, you really you have nothing, not an intonation of an idea, nothing about it. Right. And she's you know, essentially blasting him again of like, well, you just need to have faith. You just need to have faith. Right. I don't know. Right. You can't ask me. Well, guys assumes that God doesn't want this base destroyed. And this is a very important piece of dialogue in this episode. This is. I assume that God doesn't want this base destroyed because he is the Cylon God. And Six says, he does not take sides. He just wants your love. This is a very important thing because this makes us believe that Six, this, that Six, Six has expressed her faith. Whether or not this is a long con, we don't know. But she has yeah. expressed her faith in a way that would suggest that she is pious to the one God. And now she's telling us that the one God is not pro-Cylon or pro-human. Yeah. What do you think about that? Well, that reminds me of, you know, traditional human warfare. Even, sure. You know, like prayers that, uh, you know, past armies sent up and everything, you can see, you know, in, in you know, war poems, things like that, of an, an acknowledgement of knowing that God is not taking your side, but just asking for the righteous side to win and like hoping and in a way hoping that God sees you as the righteous side. Like that's kind of a, an acknowledgement, which again, you know, that's what's so interesting about them is that the Cylons in this show, their religion most resembles our actual human religion at this point. Like, whereas all the human beings are like Greco Roman era, fucking a pantheon of gods. Um, so yeah, it's well, we've so, talked about that before. Isn't it interesting that, you have, in a sense, and it's and I and we've already talked about this, but after the Laoban episode, I remember thinking to myself, okay, is what we have here a metaphor for this Christ or this single religion removing the old pantheons, removing the old polytheistic views in favor of the one God? Right? Is that because that was the death of Rome? That was the death of those countries that had the polytheistic things when. Soldiers were converting to Christianity, and they're like, "We're not fighting anymore. We're we're gonna love our neighbors. So go fuck yourself." Right? It's <laughs> it's weird, man. <laughs> I, I do think that is one of the commandments, actually. Yeah, <laughs> go fuck yourself. We're not fighting anymore. We're not, we're not fucking fighting anymore. We're not gonna fight no more, Southie boys. And God go said yourself. unto them, "We're not gonna fight anymore. Go fuck yourselves." <laughs> but no, but you know what I'm saying? It's like this. It's like this uprising of. Uh, of a different religion that is looking to not the religion, but the practitioners of it are looking to seemingly wipe you out. I mean, they launched a coordinated 12 planet nuclear attack. <laughs> it's pretty significant. Yeah. That's why. Yeah. I mean, that's why it, it has the ring of like a, a crusade like war of like, this is a holy war. It is ordained by God, but still even that view conflicts with six's idea here that no, 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 we're not. We're, the, you can't claim that, 
you believe in a God that loves all and does not take sides and that you are fighting a holy war with God on your side and he right. has legislated you wiping out an entire other race. That doesn't – that does not – you know, that's a contradiction. Right. So I still am like at a total like, oh, I don't fucking know. <laughs> like mm-hmm. there's, they're confounding. Um, but yeah, I, I'm still – I'm left with questions. Yeah. Well, it's pretty awesome. Uh, six reminds him that he doesn't take sides. Six, six reminds him to remain humble. And then Gaius <laughs> snacks, snaps back to the present after some Which, chiropractic medicine from Six. Oh, yeah. Nice neck snap to get you back into back into thinking on your feet. But I, I got I to mention here, too, I love – we haven't talked about this in a long while, maybe not since the first miniseries, the first handful of episodes, the, the retro technology of their universe. I still – I really love that. And I love that they're standing in front of a – an actual, you know, like light projected image. It's not some sure. digital screen. You know, it's it's being projected by a, a projector, and it has that like Blade Runner quality of like it's in the mm. future. It's a future world, but we're having all these, you know, it, it's like incorporating old technology and casting this kind of wide light. And I just love the aesthetic of this scene and and some of the other later planning scenes. It's just ugh, some of my favorite imagery of the show so far. That's part of why this is, episode has risen up to some of my favorites already. Grid 427. Stop. Zoom. <laughs> Grid 24. Stop. <laughs> Fucking Blade Runner. Um, so, yeah, I like that too. I do like that. I, I love when we, I love retro tech. That's, that's a good way to put it. Absolutely. Well, Guy snaps back and Starbucks says, where would the holding tanks be? And he points to a spot seemingly at random. This and now this was a moment where I'm like, as smart as Gaius is, he could. I still feel, and it was this would have annoyed them, but I feel like they would have accepted it, him being like, ah, well, look, you know, I know a lot about the properties of Tylium, but I don't know that much about its refinement. You know, give give me an hour or two to over, you know, look over these photographs, and, and I'll get back to you after I analyze it, and I'll try to figure out. Like he could have bought himself a little more time. <laughs> he didn't have to do it right on the spot, but it, it's a ballsy move. I'll give him that, but. Boy, is it a fucking wild guess. Boy, wow. He just points, just hammer your fucking finger to the canvas. Boop, there. That's the spot. That's the one you got to take out. For sure. I'm 100% sure. Don't question it. What do you think compelled him to do this? I, you know, as it's funny. I'm going to contradict myself because as much as I was just saying he could have bought himself time, I think at this point, everybody's tired of him buying time. <laughs> I mm-hmm. think Adama, you know, they've, he's had a lot of scenes of in Adama's office of him being like, cut this shit. <laughs> like, you <laughs> know, where's my fucking tech? Where's the Cylon detector? He has been a big, you know, they already imprisoned him for uh, reasons. And it's like, I feel like, in his mind, I don't think he thinks he can afford to buy more time, that he has yeah. used up that credibility, and he has to just go, bam, there's your answer. Boy, oh boy. Gaius Baltar. <laughs> boy. Gaius Balzar. <laughs> Later, he's in the hallway. So right after this, he's in the hallway. He's very emotional about this. He's very stressed out. He's very tense, as you would imagine. Oh, yeah. I mean, he offered up tactical information that we're just supposed to believe. Do you mm-hmm. think it was foolhardy for these guys to trust his intelligence? I mean, I, I definitely understand why he's getting all those Swedish massages from his blonde friend, uh, stressed out from having mm. to provide all these answers. Indeed, I, I feel like at this point, too, it's funny. As, uh, as the audience watching this, we've seen, you know, we're the only ones privy to all of these scenes with Six and all the information she's providing him. So we have the double-sided view of, 
he doesn't know half of what he's talking about. And he's rely, he's kind of relying on her and falling back on her and making up the the gaps with his own intelligence. Um, but to them, you know, at the end of the day, he has proven right. You know, mm-hmm. his silent detector did work. You know, uh, he, he he's we don't he's, know the results. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Well, we know Boomer's a Cylon, but, but we it's don't know about Ty. We don't know anything other than what he says, which is amazing. Yeah. I can imagine in scenes not shown, uh, you know, Adama in rooms with, you know, Ty or other people being like, yeah, he's a fucking kook and he's strange, but, you know, he's delivered. Like, you know, he hasn't he hasn't failed them in the sense of, you know, they haven't caught him in a lie. Like, they have caught him in what they thought were lies, but then it it panned out in the end. So right. as far as they as far as results for everything he's been asked for, he has delivered. Even though it might have been very shaky in its delivery, he delivered. Sure, so sure. I think they do still see him as a trustworthy, incredibly brilliant, just kooky weirdo. So they, they rely on his intelligence. They just think he's a fucking sweaty weirdass. And they're not wrong, I guess. <laughs> he is a weirdo. <laughs> I mean, he's a weirdo. I mean, but yeah, he, it, he slithered out from under the Dr. Amrak thing when they had to blow up that uh, that transport vessel, the Olympic carrier. <laughs> Ooh, close call. Well, he is he is understandably feeling it, and um, he says to Six, when Six uh, enters his mind, he says, God did not speak to me. He says, I lied. I picked that spot at random. And then Six tells guys that God doesn't always speak in words. And then Gaius yeah. comes to terms with realizing that humanity's fate rests in his hands. Wow. Boy. I, you know, I like th- what she's saying there of your intuition, your gut choice is God moving your hand. That's what that was. They, that's her explanation for of the fact that your finger landed on that spot. That was God guiding your finger. That's boy, oh boy. explanation. Yeah. That it wasn't a God telling you where to move your finger and then you moving it. He just moved it for you and you just... That was why that, that was wild it. choice landed where it did. Yep. The next scene is another memorable scene in the series that stands out to me, which is Adama going to tell Starbuck the bad news, that she will not, in fact, be on the op due to her physical limitations. And uh, he just opens with Apollo's leading the strike force. He just dumps <sighs> it on her. He doesn't mince so words. So straightforward. Yep. And uh, he says, you're sitting this one out. And uh, he performs a great demonstration with the leg press that she's working out and he starts talking about the G forces and adding weight to it and she can't hold it. And, uh, uh, what a great scene. It's so, so, so good. And one, one thing I love about the scene is that it's so well balanced and it doesn't, you know, you could easily in lesser hands, I feel like you could write this scene to seem like Starbucks trying to overcome her situation and get back in the fray. And Adama's just shitting on her and striking her down, but that's not it here. Like, you can tell that he admires that she's still trying and she is that she still is trying to get on the op and you know that she's in here fucking doing leg presses on this knee that is still healing she she wants to get in there and he admires her for that but he just knows that she's not ready and so he's just proving the point and the only you know I love that it's not a conversation. It's not him calling her into his office and saying, oh, you know, it's not going to be you and trying to like pat her on the shoulder and be like, oh, next one, slugger. Like it's her in there already just physically the way that she, I think, handles most of her problems, uh, physically just trying to stomp it out and get ready. And he answers in the same way of putting a more physical weight on and saying, all right, 
You think you can do it. I'm going to show you through a physical, tangible way that you can't do it in a way that you can't. You're not going to verbally dance your way out of this and argue that, no, 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 I can still do it. No, I've proven. The, here's the numbers. The weight you got to press is this, and you can't press it. So that's that. You know, that's the, that's the only way to shut down somebody like Starbuck because, because otherwise she's going to shrug off your words and be like, fuck you, I'm going to do it anyway. Like, I'm just going to do it. Like, you're not going to make me not. But, he, you know, I love that he just shows her and, you know, he's speaking throughout it, but that's not what matters. It's putting on the weight. It's watching her knee wobble. That is the answer to this question. The relationship between these two continues to pay off. And so this show cares deeply for the Starbuck character's story arc and her character traits. It cares about these characters in the treatment of these characters. That's not to say it can't take them from us, but oh, it, yeah. it makes it clear that these characters are consistent through and through. And I think you bring up a great point when you say that he is showing her. He demonstrated now a couple things. Part of me believes that if Adama gave an order, Starbuck would agree to it reluctantly, but it would not be pretty because yes. she's not going to defy Adama. She's going to be pissed at Adama, but she's going to listen because I think she has a lot of respect for Adama. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Conversely, well established. Adama has a ton of respect for her and he wants to make sure to honor her respect by showing her why she cannot go on the operation. And I believe that he knew before this scene, in fact, I think he knew before he walked in that, walked into that pilot's ready room, I think he knew before he walked in there that he already talked to Doc Cottle. I think he already talked to Doc Cottle. I can't confirm this, but yeah. I think he knew, and that's why he brought her, he, for two reasons. He brought her in on the op because she does think out of the box and she's smart. But he knew, I better tell her this before I tell her she's not flying because she can't fly. And he knew this. Oh, yeah. And I think it just but shows the respect and care that Adama has for Starbuck to go to where she is performing physical therapy and to showcase or demonstrate a better way to say the fact that she cannot push the pedal down in the G-forces she's going to face to successfully do the maneuver she has to in this operation. And he wants her to see that. And he doesn't yes. mince words. He doesn't beat around the bush because he knows how Starbuck is. It's perfect. We know how Adama is. He doesn't beat around the bush. And we know how Starbuck is. She does not want you to beat around the bush. So it's a oh, perfect yeah. marriage of, of, a, of this moment in this episode where he just says, you're sitting this one out. Apollo's going to lead the strike force. End of story. But I'm going to show you because I have respect for you. Absolutely. It, 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 it has a like fatherly feel to it of like, it sure I does. know how to talk to my kid. Like, Absolutely. You know, it, it's, like, uh, you know, it's, it's like a scene of a father talking to their kid after they've been scolded by the principal and being like, look, I'm not going to say anything different. The principal's right. You fucked up. You did something bad. Hey, you dropped a cherry bomb in a toilet. That's a bad shit to do. But I'm going to tell you in a way, whereas the principal just pissed you off and you're like, yeah, I know it was wrong, but fuck him. Whereas dad's going to say it to you in a way where you're like, ah, you're right. I did screw up. Like to get you to accept it and understand it. Right. And, you know, I, I think the reason he does it this way is to have her head in the game where he needs her as a tactician, which is not normally a role that she's in. You know, he needs her head thinking, uh, you know, the way a tactician's does of like, where are we going to, you know, standing outside of a battle and where are you going to move your pieces from a much, you know, larger view instead of just being like, oh, I should be in there. I should be in there. I should be in there flying. I should be in the midst of it. And it's like, nope, I need you to not even be worried about that anymore. That is just not 
a possibility. It's not an option right now. You now have to step out of it and look at this like a commander. That's that's what I loved about this too. It's he's essentially saying you're going to step up to my level here. Like this is almost like a test run of like maybe one day you're going to be a commander and this is the kind of shit you're going to have to do. You're going to be behind the scenes of the operation calling shots about where whole squadrons go instead of just leading two or three ships in the midst of the battle. Right. Yeah. And it, it shows again how much he respects her. And it's awesome because it's a growth moment for the Starbuck character. I mean, this is a story within a story, but it's been part of her arc the whole time. And that's, we, we saw her mouth off to Lee when, when she didn't want to take the meds. And she got mad at how passive Lee was being about the meds. And, yeah. and you could see that her reaction to his weak leadership was annoying. And I know, yeah. ex- I know exactly how she feels. I know, yeah. I know the feeling of, feeling like at least you know the answer here and the person who's in a position above you doesn't and you just want them to fucking stop and get to it and not yeah. pussyfoot. And that, and that is exactly, it's so funny because Lee is such a pussyfooter. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. And I don't mean that in the negative way. He just no. is very sensitive to people's feelings. Yeah. He's he's a, he respects he's, her, but he feels as an equal to her. And he, I think he's very uncomfortable with flexing you know uh rank you know he's not he's not quite ready for that yet we're seeing him grow into that right and and i think that lee is a more sensitive guy than his father his father's much more direct and gruff uh, even though i don't think his father cares any less than lee does about other people and that's what's a cool dynamic here and and i think it was nice to see starbuck go through it with adama because she went through it with apollo and she got to see that you're not doing this sorry Get used to it. Welcome to my world, which is watching, mm-hmm. and it is hard. It's a hard fucking world. Oh, yeah. Later, Starbuck and Apollo discuss some tactical ideas about the operation. Apollo gets insecure right here because she goes to see him, and he immediately projects onto her like, you don't think I can do this, and you don't think I'm good enough, and he gets real insecure when Starbuck goes to see him. And maybe she is worried about it a little bit, but she He's- she's trying to help. She's trying to offer her advice. Yeah. He's worried. Way more. <laughs> Way more. Overthinking. And that's what she says. Yep. She, she gets annoyed with him here, and she says, listen, don't frack it up by overthinking, pal, as we know you're prone to do. <laughs> Although, I got, I got to say, to the contrary on that point, uh, the Olympic carrier, who was the one who finally, who wasn't wishy-washy and pulled the first 100%. trigger on that? It was Lee. Yep. And so that that's one of the times where I do feel like, eh, Starbuck, you can't, he's not purely the overthinker and you're just the, the gut thinker. Like, no, that, that, t- we've seen that table get flipped a little bit here. And that's part of what makes their relationship interesting. Right. That they have each been on either side of that at varying times. Sure. Cylon occupied Caprica. Let's talk about it. We have Boomer and Hilo going to their loft apartment in a barn. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, honey. Let's Climb check out the, the new duplex. Ladder. They eat. Ooh, Boomer. there's hay for beds. Mm. <laughs> roll, roll, rolling the <laughs> hay. Yeah. Uh, they start to eat. Boomer barfs, and uh, Hilo starts asking her about the anti-rad meds. She blames the cold beans, and you have something to say, so please do. I, this this is one of those big cliffhanger questions for me. I was like, holy shit, is this what they're saying? I the way she reacted in that scene, the way she kind of like tried to hide it, tried to talk it down and, and brush past it pretty quickly, all rang to me of like, is this morning sickness? Is this pregnancy vomit? Like, and I'm like, well, hold on. Like, does that imply that the Cylons have a fucking that much of functioning human biology they can be impregnated? That's that's the tone I got from this. Hmm. Like, 
call me crazy, but that's how this scene made me feel. I was like, holy shit. Because the rad poisoning, we we know that's not an issue for them, right? They We've seen them get poisoned by that cloud on that one planet, but I don't think that was radiation. That was something else. Correct? Or uh, totally off? Uh, the Ragnar station uh, caused yeah, that some... Wasn't, that wasn't a radiation cloud. It was something different. Correct. It it was definitely uh, it was definitely a little bit different. It was something that caused them an issue there. But I think it, it was something engineered to. It was like bug spray for Cylons. It was like something they put around there to keep Cylons out. It wasn't. Just, I don't know uh, if radiation. that's. I don't know if that's true. But here's. Really? But but okay. take that aside because since we're both sure. hazy on that detail, what do we know about the people on Capricorn? Have we seen any of the Cylons taking anti rad meds like Doral exactly. or Six? No. Hell no, they're yeah. fine. Do we think that? this particular copy of Boomer is any different than the ones we've seen? would have to assume no. Okay. So is it possible she ate bad beans? Or is it that possible that she has a fully functioning reproductive system? That or, I mean, or and the other... is yeah. she full of shit? <laughs> See, that was the other side of like that she's so nervous that she's actually feeling real anxiety about their position and knowing that the Cylons are now after them. Because well, let me ask you do, you, do you believe that the Cylons can feel like people feel? Do you think they have the same complexity in their emotional range? I mean, we, ha- we have seen Six get jealous and upset yeah. and almost even cry in the presence of Doral at the thought yeah. of never having the real love. We've seen Six be very jealous and very reactionary to, to Gaius's very slights. Very emotional. Yeah. Very emotional. Uh, yeah. We know that Boomer, we know that Sleeper Boomer has been emotional either either because of her programming or whatever. And uh, how, just think of Caprica Boomer's actions to date. We know, you said yeah. yourself, you believe she's cognizant that she is in fact a Cylon and she's doing yes. things she's supposed to do. But then she, we think, maybe flipped the script a little when she's like, we're going to run. I mean, do we think yeah. that's part of a larger plan or her rebelling at the original plan? So there's a lot to think about here. And uh, we have to, we, but we have to talk about it, man. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, I do, I still, I'm taking at this point that she, this, you know, that Caprica Boomer has actually rebelled a little bit against uh, Cylon Coat, that they were not wanting her to do this, that she is at this point kind of rogue and running off with this, you know, Hilo. Um, and the way, the way she reacts to throwing up, it probably literally is the first time she's ever vomited, like... I mean, you know, what other context would she have even done that, you know? So she's sure. either feeling real emotion for the first, you know, or at least this level of emotion that could make her so anxious that she vomits and she's kind of surprised by her own, you know, reaction or or she got all full of them babies. Mm. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you would think that Hilo's uh, baby batter would be rendered inert from True. the radiation. He's been... <laughs> He's been in a big planet-wide dick microwave for a while now. <laughs> or they're just about to have the toxic Avenger baby. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> True. Old Toxie's about to come rolling out. I see a Tromeo and Juliet movie coming. Yikes. <laughs> uh, so, uh, and then the other thing I thought about, I remember when I first saw this, is as I thought, could they be like the Benny Gesserit from Dune where they literally can control their biology and have whatever kind of, sex baby they want or not have a baby if they didn't want to there's that too i was like is she is this is is i mean he is she pregnant does it why would she allow herself to be pregnant is that some some part of a different plan i mean what becomes of a child between a human and a Cylon? what does that mean for that's it's the thing that makes me that you know we have and we have no real 
I guess, explanation of, you know, there's the, the toaster Cylons who are obviously big fucking robots. You know, they're yeah. just big, straight up robots. The human Cylons, you know, like, let's take Terminator, for example. Like, you know, they actually explain in Terminator 2 that it's like, yes, the, the shell underneath is full, full-blown uh, robot, but the skin over the top of it is not fake skin. It's actual bionic, you know, I mean, uh, biological flesh that is growing. And that blood is biological blood. Oh yeah, uh, and you, you can definitely you, cut- you can definitely bone a Terminator and have a grand old time. <laughs> oh yeah, I don't think you can get one pregnant, but you can bone nope. all day. But that's the thing, it's, you know they they had engineered actual biological matter that grows and is growing actual hair and everything over the top of the Terminator you know skeleton. And I wonder that with the Cylon human beings, to what extent are they human? Like maybe they are Cylon only to the effect of like their brain stem and their brain is like engineered and the rest of their bodies is like full blown human grown around them. Like maybe so. I mean, that wouldn't explain their, their tremendous strength. They they must have some extra abilities in there, but who knows how much of the, the Cylon human copies are human. Like they, they well, let me ask you this, dude, if you, if you were to eliminate if you were to totally eliminate pregnancy, well, let's think about this. You you can run a test on somebody. If you have a sleeper agent that needs to mimic a human, you have to be really careful to start eliminating bodily functions or an, or, your, or an entire system like a reproductive system. Right? It, it, you know, uh, it's it's yeah. It's let, gonna let's be take hard. Um, like, what if what if she has some sort of exam and they go, well, this is weird and it leads to deeper re- reveals, and then like, well, this go. is weird and. And, and, you, and it, like uh, Galactica Boomer, she probably exactly. menstruates, right? Sure. I mean, like she she must. Uh, otherwise, she uh, in her human programming would be like, why do I not have a period? <laughs> like, right. like she would understand that about herself. So like they must have at least at least all of those biological functions or perfect mimicries of them like, to, to, sure. to display the, the, the outer signs of those functions, like something. You would think that they would have some sort of like, <laughs> some sort of like plan B nanobot though. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's like just in there like some... a mini, uh, a mini stormtrooper just zapping Hilo sperm. Just <laughs> in there like Captain Not going to be no talking Bruce Willis babies coming out of here. <laughs> no. Fuck all that. Oh uh, yeah, exactly right. I mean, you would think <laughs> you would think if infiltration is something you're trying to do, and you don't want to be restrained by a nine month pregnancy and then some sort of motherhood, that you would have nanobots that would go in and just zip zap them out, zip zip, and get rid of those little zip, fucking zap. pesky critters. Get your nanobot birth control today. <laughs> it's fucking- Wage war on sperm. <laughs> Like on the box is just like a, it's just a little robot with a, like a Rambo sash tied around its fucking head. <laughs> awesome. The last birth control pill you'll ever have to take. Yeah, man. I like it. Well, who knows? We don't know. We, don't we do know. have a nice scene know. between Adama and Apollo, though, don't we? Ooh, yeah. Good stuff. Father and son. Talk to me. This is it. Watching, you know, looking at the MK2 ship. The same. I do love, you know, that... They're having to rely on some of this older tech. This is not the new models. This is it's a cool that this is the same exact ship that his father Adama used to fly, and he's saying, "Got me out of some tough scrapes." Mm-hmm. And he here he provides him with my trivia question. I got right Does, the yeah. lighter. Yeah, the his lighter. His grandfather's lighter. His grandfather was a lawyer. Brought it to every case, all the ones he won. <laughs> this is a 
great human moment here. Uh, this pays off very well at the end of the episode. I like this a lot. I like I like how um, I like you know Lee is sensitive, and it's good for him to say when he starts to he brings up Starbucks. Everyone would feel better if she was on the app. He's like, I don't, and yeah. that's when he's like, What do you mean? He's like, Well, you're my son, and then cue up the fucking outlawed tunes and outlawed pipes. <laughs> oh boy. Beautiful. Beautiful. Love the sound of those pipes, laddie. <laughs> oh, the bonnie lands of fire. Oh, Danny boy, the pipes, the pipes are calling. <laughs> Kill all the English and drive them from our lands. I don't know if that how it goes, but something Avenge like that. Avenge the Wallace head upon the pike. <laughs> <laughs> if you're not Irish, you're a fucking cunt. Um, so I don't know, but yeah, they do that whole thing. You're British dandy bastards. (laughs) Look at me me unwiped Scottish ass. You bunch of protty cons. We are are oscillating so violently between Irish and Scottish. I've lost track. Uh, I don't even know. And and, and it should be noted that both aren't good. Um... (laughs) Uh, a very touching scene, though. You know, he he tosses him, the, he gives him the lighter, and he says, listen, bring it back. You better, or I'll kick your ass. It's a good lighter. Good Classic lighter. Adama. But I like how he, uh, his it, belief it, in his son, it, it really inspires confidence in Lee. Exactly. And it's such a, that's a perfect Adama way of saying, of like, you know, it's not that, oh, I, I know you'll come home, so I'm going to be fine. Bring back my lighter. You're going to be fine. You just make sure you yeah. bring my damn lighter back. Yeah. Like, it's such a, con- it's an assurance that you're going to be fine. So fine that you're going to remember to toss me my damn lighter back. It's awesome. Hilo and Boomer wake up. Hilo hears the dreaded footfalls of Centurions. They peek out of their loft uh, window. Not really window, just a hole in the wall. And they yeah. see a six copy and multiple Centurions. And Hilo is all kinds of confused. Oh, yeah. I killed her. You saw, I watched her die. And Boomer just says, we have to go now, and uh, they run away. That is that. Boy, oh, boy. <sighs> See, what kind of this questions is, is Hilo going to have? Oh, my God, right? <laughs> but this is it of, like, the fact even that, because up until this point, they have been, the Cylons, I mean, have been still to Hilo portraying themselves as you are being pursued. You know, they they let him kill a six. They let him see a a female, you know, human version of them. Mm-hmm. But they did not reveal yet that there's multiple copies. That another one can just be right around the corner. And I think they, this is part of what makes me think that this boomer really is, uh, you know, going rogue and that the Cylons are now after them. I mean, that six looks very unconcerned <laughs> in the way that she's walking toward them. They're not worried about it, I don't think. But they're just like, huh, she is actually in love with this guy. Well, it's time to kill him, I guess. <laughs> uh, but I feel like them revealing their hand in that way, the Cylons being like, eh, fuck it. it the cover's kind of blown. You know, this this covers, this this ruse, this aspect of this ruse of, of trying to, whatever their goal was with this uh, helo, um, is, is blown. And they don't care about kind of showing the rest of their hand at this point. And that, the way she's like, we've got to fucking move we gotta go they're on us still makes me think wow she really is kind of defecting so you think she's going rogue now let's just put our money where our mouths are mr anderson do you think that boomer is pregnant i just got to give you a fucking yes or no yep yes wow i i'm gonna fucking qualify that a little bit of that 
she's going to at least display every sign of pregnancy. Whether that really comes to pass as a birth, I don't know. Okay. But I think we're going to see, like, yeah, oh, shit, my period stopped and my tummy's growing. I'm, I got a little helo in here. <laughs> I think she's going to say all that. I think, I mean, I think they, word for word, verbatim, like I just said. Uh, but yeah, no, I think we, that's going to be what Hilo is led to believe. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So, so let's talk about the op and wrap this baby up. Got to get into the op. Balls in play, Adama says. I love the quick look at the deck crew here. We get a shot of Callie just chewing gum. It's awesome <laughs> because it shows you how important this operation is. And this is something we don't really get. And that's the perspective of other parts of the ship, uh, including other people who serve on the ship. And we see that the deck crew is tense, that this is a very important operation. And I like that. Oh, yeah. This one's crazy. Well, the Cylons take the bait and they uh, they begin to pursue the three civilian decoy craft. Adama orders the launch of Strike One. Uh, Starbuck inquires as to the hardness of their bite and apparently 90 raiders decided that they were going to engage these three civilian craft and at least see what the fuck was going on. <sighs> wow. Crazy. That's a lot. And I mean, That's a lot of planes. One thing they never, you know, a lot, again, a lot of numbers are flying around about uh, the amount of raiders and mm-hmm. the amount of fuel and this and that. We never, unless you caught it and I just missed it, we never get a very precise number of how many uh, Vipers they have left. Did you catch that? Is They're, that something they say? They don't really say it, but there's not many. There's not. I know at one point they they are outnumbered five, five to, one. to one. Right. So and that's that's when the another set of fifty raiders gets deployed as well. So fifty and ninety make it five to one. Right. Yeah. It's Damn. it's bad. It's bad. It's news. bad. Yeah. <laughs> bad news bears all around. Right. So let's talk about what goes on next. Starbuck uh, expresses concern about Apollo, uh, and this is where Adama says. You know, you should look at yourself here because I had to go through the same transition. When you're in the cockpit, you're in control. It's hard to give it up. All you can do now is wait and hope you didn't make any mistakes. And Starbucks says, I did not want this responsibility. And Dama says, oh, that's fucking adorable. I didn't realize the Cylons were asking what we wanted. I don't think he says it that crassly, but. <laughs> right. And then he says, and welcome to the big leagues. So pretty cool. I like this. I like this position that Starbucks finds herself in. It's compelling. Again, Yeah. And it's, it's a hard we see it here as a very hard push from mm-hmm. Adama. It is. It, it seems. You know. I feel like if you, if you as a viewer came in only on this episode, you might think that there's. You could probably imagine more tension between Starbuck and Adama than is really there. Like, if you understand their relationship, if you've been watching them closely the whole time. You like I was saying earlier. Like this is in a way him saying nudge, nudge in 10, 15, 20 years, this is where you're going to be because I believe in you. I think you have the ability to climb the ranks and become a commander and this is the kind of shit you're going to have to deal with. And I think he's kind of, you know, like the scared little kid who's afraid to, to swim. You just kick him into the fucking deep end and say, good luck. All right, go off. And it's like, you know, as the parent, I'm not going to let you fucking drown. I'm going <laughs> to, I've got you. I got you, baby bird, but I'm going to kick you in there because that's, that's what it is. And now you're going to get your taste. Interesting. Oh, I'm sorry. Five to one was Crashdown's report. Because after this, Crashdown says 50 inbound raiders. The attack force was spotted, not part of the plan. They're outnumbered five to one. That puts their, their, yeah, that puts their Viper count somewhere right around 30. Yeah. uh, Yeah, because, well, there's only six or so on this side of things when they, when they attack. So if you're trying to keep a visual representation, if you haven't seen the show in a while, um, or you're not exactly following this battle. They have these three civilian craft, about 90 raiders peel off and try to engage those three distractions. 
While this is going on, the Galactica launches fighters to head towards the base in an attempt to sneak attack the base and get in there. Um, unfortunately, what happens is, is that 50 raiders uh, decide, uh, crash down reports, 50 inbound raiders. So the attack force was spotted, not part of the mm-hmm. plan, which is bad news. And now, in my mind, I might have this wrong, but the, the additional 50 that come after the attack force are also launched from the base. It's not like 50 of those 90 peel off to go after the attack force. I think it's an additional 50. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, they have, yeah. They have so many fucking... So many. Yeah. So many. It's gross <laughs> how many planes they have. Oh, I know. But um, we get some space battle stuff. Fireball, Deadbolt, Spinner, they all buy the farm. So harsh. Yeah. God, every single... And I, there's a moment of hearing all of those voices over the radio. Everybody's it's going awesome. at once and you're hearing... And you're just like, God, they're getting eaten up out there. Like, this is so bad. Yeah, it's, It it's seems an, to be going incredible. downhill. Yeah. Um, and then we... Hot Dog reports mission doubtful. That's nothing you want to hear. Oof. Mission doubtful. What? Uh, Gaia says, uh, this sounds fracking awful. Yeah. I like that. I like that he's there and we get to see some of this stuff. And oh, then yeah. um, Adama orders strike one to abort. So they abort and the raiders that intercepted strike force one turn towards Galactica. Holy shit. So this was so kind of slick. Yeah. So here's what happens. You got the craft going, closing in on the civilian vessel. Then while that's happening, a strike force attacking the base. The 50 go after the strike force and just start to tear them a new ass. Adama says, fucking abort. You're getting slaughtered. Now yeah. it looks grim unless you're on the inside of this plan because during the abort, the strike force that is aborting heads home. So it's going back towards Galactica, bringing all of those Cylons with it, which they didn't anticipate, although they actually did. So yeah. the people on the Galactica are like, okay, so strike force one is aborting, going back to Galactica and all those Cylons are in tow. Great. Oh, yeah. Hey, Fantastic. nice that. Super. <laughs> Uh, the Cylons heard the transmission to recall, which is what uh, which is what Rosalind says. So she shows a little bit of tactical awareness here. So she's saying, okay, they heard you tell them to come back to base. So obviously this is what's happening. Gaius realizes what this means. And he wonders when the reserve Viper is going to be launched. And Adama says, there are none. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, uh, I love that. Yeah. What so do you when, mean? Uh, when do we get our protection, our personal protection to launch out? There ain't any. There ain't any. <laughs> They're all on the board. Adama tells Starbuck that it is now your plan. Good Lord. So beautiful. Mm. Now, it is the civilian ships that they had the the additional Vipers hiding on, right? Yes, because they became disinterested in the civilian ships. Exactly. Yeah. Ah, beautiful. Love it. They went out. There was, what what happened was, is the civilian ships go out they, 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 the raider, the silence go out to see the civilian ships. And then when the strike force attacks the base, they peel off because they're like, oh, these guys aren't here. Nothing's going on. And yeah, they weren't exactly. fooled. So they're like, okay, they took the bait. 90 of them took the bait. Great. So that's awesome. However, then you get 50 fucking inbounds. So only, so over half of them go, okay, this something's wrong here. And they take off which is great because it splits their force up. And then when Starbuck orders the, the scrambler code, back door is open, uh, and it's just badass. All the concealed vipers come out of hiding in the civilian freighters. The president asks Starbuck why she wasn't told, and Adama says, listen, this was a need to know. I routinely restrict tactical details. 
old habits die hard. Sorry. And uh, now we <laughs> hope that Baltar's target information is good. So it's awesome. Yep. So it's the perfect timing because now Lee's group can go after the base while all the other raiders are distracted. So it was the perfect distraction method. And I know some of the tactical, uh, some of the tactical locations, some of these ships isn't exactly clear. But all we need to know is is that it was a double. It was like a double gambit. They showed yep. they showed civilian craft. The raiders went to investigate the civilian craft. Then they had strike force one attack. And in my opinion. That was a clumsy attack decide, des, designed to be the actual distraction. Exactly. But the, the, uh, but, but the civilian ships were a false decoy. They were a false decoy because they, in fact, have Apollo Strike Force in it. So call that the second Strike Force. So when the Raiders turn away from the hidden Vipers that they don't know exist yet, they're engaging the fucking... They, they engaged the Strike Force that was kind of clunky and obvious because that's part of the whole decoy. And it was yep. just it was just a slick move. Ah, oh, so good. Awesome. So and they, I love you know, I love how he's saying, Oh, old habits die hard. But you know some of that is new thinking because he's still like, I don't know who the fuck's a silent on this ship. Sure. <laughs> I, sure. I'm keeping some of this stuff close to the vest. So Apollo's fighter squadron approaches the base. They acquire tone and lock, and they launch bombs early. Uh, but it's kind of a rookie move because they're launching from deep. Uh, I love how Starbuck yells, come on, when they launch <laughs> ah. too soon. And, of course, the guidance system jam the bombs, and they miss. Yeah. You can just see them go whoop and just up over the top of the base like they just got deflected off. Yep. And, of course, Apollo tells them they're going to have to get in closer and go manual a la Luke Skywalker. Uh-huh. Use your false senses. Use your false bros. Blow up the rib bridge over River Kwai. <laughs> Chuckles uh, gets got, as does Wide Eyes. I don't know what her name was. It comes down to Apollo and Cat. Apollo gets an idea. He wants a closer look. On the CIC, uh, Adam and Ty prepare the inbound intercept force heading to Galactica. So now we know that on the CIC, Adam and Ty are preparing for the inbound force, which is heading towards them. Oh, yeah. So you had 90, you had 50 peel off and go after Strike Force 1. Then you had the other ones follow the retreating ships. Uh, no, no, you had the ones that went after Strike Force 1. So you got 50 ships that went after Strike Force 1 following yeah. their ass back to Galactica. Oh, yeah. Which is awesome. So you, you really thinned out the force, which was, a, which was awesome. But now you have to deal with those fucks arriving at the Galactica. Yeah, which is, you know, they are, at this point, they have no actual defense against those incoming raiders. It is purely relying on the strike force back at the Cylon base is going to be able to take out that base and disrupt, you know, right. Cylon unity and communication. And that's going to force the incoming ones toward Galactica to retreat. Yeah. So they're, they're literally just sitting there like clenching their fists, like, all right, this, you know, Lee's got to do it. They've, they've got to take out the base or else, we're going to get taken out by these raiders. There's no, there's no, for that's the real, the real gamble in the entire plan is that. Like, yep. they knew, and there's a, there's a scene earlier on when they're talking about in the planning, Ty's like, it's going to cost us, you know? And that's, they're talking about their initial strike force being, coming out and being the real decoy, getting attacked and retreating. They knew they were going to lose some guys in that. They were going to lose some vipers and some pilots, and it's going to suck. And so they're hoping that they can retain any more losses by just having that force retreating back as fast as they can, and before they get back to base and before the radar raiders following them get back to base, Lee can take out uh, the Cylon base. Sure. Yeah, based on all the ranges, that's the plan. 
That's the gamble. That's the gamble. So Apollo decides that he will enter the actual conveyor tunnel, hoping it leads him to the refinery. This is fucking awesome. So fucking awesome. I I cannot get over how much I love the mobility of the Viper ships in this show. There is no other, I mean... It it makes X wings and all of the you know the expeditionary craft of Star Trek look so slow and clunky. Like they are just flipping and rotating and moving and breaking. I love it because we see him in no other sci fi. For one, even even Star Wars is pretty guilty of this. Like we never really see ships like break. They kind of just they can peel off at a ninety degree angle in an opposite direction really quick or make a quick swiping turn. But we never see them just go and just stop. And that's what I love about these ships where he's going, he's chugging along through that tunnel so fast, and then he sees that it's coming to a you know a wall that goes ninety degrees up, and he just pulls back and stops, and then tilts up, boom, back up. Like I just love how my, they they have like the the feel of like a runner or something. Like they, right. they're nimble, they can just move around, and it is so awesome to watch. It's awesome. So on the CIC, uh, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, Apollo gets a cool trench run, right? We talked about this. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, and, and just, to, just, to correct, uh, just to correct what you were saying was is that the, um, the base did, in fact, send out an extra 50. Because we weren't sure yeah. if that was part of the 90. It wasn't. It was an extra 50. So, I mean, there's a fuckload. Yeah. This ship's the fucking shitload. That's what I fucking said, motherfucker. Yeah. Yeah, I just wanted to confirm that's what you said. <laughs> um, so he does some fancy flying he can't be targeted he's pretty safe I like that he finds a spot provided by guys and he dumps a couple of bombs oh yeah oh it's so good it's awesome yeah, I, like, I like how slow it is too it's not like some big heavy rocket bomb it, you, just, you can see them bouncing along in the dirt up underneath some of the machinery and awesome. everybody is left to wait awesome and just close ups on Starbucks close ups on Adama is this shit actually going to, even if it blows up, we don't know if it's going to cause the chain reaction explosion that they need. I was also very appreciative of the fact that after he dumped the bombs, the way he pulled up and he shot up towards the atmosphere and you could see like the color change in the cockpit from the atmosphere. Oh, yeah. uh, it was sweet. God, they, and they do the space battles so right. Yeah. Kaboom. Base goes up. Apollo says, mission accomplished. And the room erupts. Guys can't believe it. Ty and Adama shake hands. I love that part. Gata hugs Baltar, Celtic music blares, Starbuck hugs the president. It's a great celebratory moment. The president hugs her uh, again a second time. Adam is told that the Cylons are bugging out, and he orders them to mop them up. Uh, Starbuck offers her praise. She gives him a stogie, meaning meaning Lee, when he gets back. Crash down. You know, gets- that's a, I want to elaborate that a little bit further. You know, that's a small moment, but that's another big part of them really actually having a victory of making Absolutely. the choice there, you know, that uh, D is saying they're retreating. What do we do? And I, I, I would imagine that in any time before this, they go, okay, great. They're retreating. Let's get the rest of our forces out of here ourselves. And let's, let's retreat as well and get the fuck out of here and just preserve our resources and our pilots. And this is the first time that Adama gets to go, go after them, right. clean them up. Right. It's like, oh, hell yeah. How satisfying. Awesome. So what we have here is Adama and every, everybody's kind of converging on the flight deck. Starbuck is very congratulatory to Apollo, who kind of rubs her face in a little. Uh, she gives him a stogie, which she lights with the, uh, with the lighter, which I thought was awesome. Oh, yeah. And then uh, Crashdown gets a hug from Damis Davis. I love Boomer teasing him here. That was fucking priceless. 
She, she lights the cigar with, uh, well, I already said that, a great moment of Adama looking at him and as he tosses the lighter back to him. So good. Awesome. Ah, oh, it's so satisfying. Hitching God. the feels. Absolutely. And it's, it, that's, it's not the victory tactically that matters. It's that the morale of all these characters that we love, it's like they finally get to f- breathe a sigh of relief for a minute and just to see them earn this. Yep. And it, we waited 10, you know, if counting the miniseries, we're 12 episodes in here? Yeah. Yeah. 12 out, you know, 12 hours in. More and this is our that, first yeah. yeah, first real victory and it's like god damn do they do they ever deserve and have earned it. Right, and it's a combat victory. We saw a yeah. celebratory moment when they found water. Uh, yeah. But it was just a discovery victory. This is a actual combat victory against the overwhelming Cylon force which was finally made a victory. Absolutely. It's awesome. So, I feel I kind of feel like we confused that battle a little. Is that me? <laughs> well, it's a bit of a complicated battle. It's a little confusing. It's it's I I I I'm remiss to not say that it was simply a double decoy. Like right, the Cylons yeah, go after yeah. the civilian ships. Uh, nothing happens. They turn around. They go after the other ships. And then Apollo uh, disembarks from his little civilian hiding place and blows up the fucking base. That's ex- that's that's the simple version. Hopefully, we didn't yeah. make it too complicated. Uh, it was just bo- they, it was bothering yeah. me thinking oh, about yeah. it. Oh yeah, all they used that first round of their own Vipers for was to pull raiders Correct. away from their Cylon base. Correct. and give that's what the back door is that that, yep. that uh, Starbucks referring to. We have a back door open now. There aren't at least as many Cylon raiders down there, and this is your chance to go in. The, the old double gambit, like, oh, you you want me to pursue this ship. There's nothing there. Oh, actually, there is something there, bitch. Should have looked a little closer. You motherfucker. All right, cool. I'm sorry. That was gnawing at my 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 brain. Uh, we end on Gaius and Six discussing the Pythian prophecy. Did you know that Pythia uh, was a Greek oracle? Oh, an actual Greek oracle. Yeah, at the Oracle of Delphi. Isn't that funny? That Yes, yeah, Delphi. Mm. And isn't I could be wrong about this, but I feel like the Oracle of Delphi is Apollo's oracle. You are the god correct. Apollo. You are right? correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. I knew I remembered a little piece of that. Yep. Interesting. Interesting. Mm. Yes. Yes. And that's where they're going in the episode, right? Aren't they going to Delphi? I think so. On, on the ground. That's where they're headed. We talked about that before. That's where. Oh, yes, yes, right? yes. Yeah, Absolutely. that's right. That yep. is right. That's where uh, Caprica, Boomer, and Hilo are going. Yeah. Which is the spiritual center of the 12 colonies on Caprica, which is why Hilo spat when he found out that they were using it as a little base. He yeah, spat. He was so disgusted. Disgusting. Pretty awesome. <laughs> so, talk to me about this last scene, man. All of this, this has is... happened before. She brings it up. All of this has happened before. All of it will happen again. Let's, uh, uh, led by serpents, numbering two and ten. Gaius wonders if this is the Vipers. Interesting thought, Gaius. Uh, the outcome favored the few. It led to a confrontation at the home of the gods. Gaius asks if she thinks God guided him. Six says that he is part of God's plan. Gaius thinks for a moment and says, I suppose I did. And that there really is no logical explanation for it. Mm. I am an instrument of God. The Ooh. last line. What do you think about this, dude? Good Lord. I have no idea. No idea. I, I, again, the little cat and mouse game between Six and Gaius, I never know where Gaius stands. I, and I, I for one, think that's part to his intelligence and him maybe 
keeping a little more information closer to his chest than Six realizes, and even maybe than we realize. But sure. there's another part of me that thinks that he is just as confused by all of this talk as we are, that he's trying to figure it out, that he is piecing it together. He's not religious, and now he's kind of being forced to, and maybe in this weird Stockholm situation he's in <laughs> with her, that he is starting to believe it, or at least wonder a little more about it than he ever has. Because him saying, I'm an instrument of God, for one, I'm like, slow down, buddy. Sounds like somebody's ego is getting pretty inflated and yours is dangerously inflated as it is. Um, so that, yeah, that makes me wonder how he's going to view himself uh, mm. in, in the coming, you know, and how he's going to justify his own actions. I like uh, it. I like it a lot, kid. Good stuff. Yep, yep. All right, we will uh, wrap with some final thoughts overall about uh, hand the hand of God, as well as uh, some of our possible predictions, obviously coming from Matt, not me, going forward. But before we do that, it's time, Mr. Anderson. It is time to get to some trivia. Trivia. Trivia time. We're going to tease uh, the next episode, which is Colonial Day, I think is the name of it. And uh, we got some we got some true or false today, big guy. So crack your knuckles, get on your thinking cap, and we're going to get to it. All right. You ready? I am very ready. All right. I feel like these are easy this week, but maybe okay. I'm wrong. No pressure. <laughs> <laughs> so if you fuck it up, you're an idiot. Gotcha. Go. <laughs> okay. Number one. Hilo learns about Sharon's true identity, but decides that she is different and moves forward with her. True or false? Oh, motherfucker. <sighs> true. True. <laughs> Sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm making notes. Next. <laughs> Starbuck pursues a relationship with an unlikely person. Ooh. And don't read too much into that. I'm not going to get you on a yeah. technicality. Person could mean Cylon. Just character. Okay. How about character? Starbuck pursues a relationship with an unlikely character. True or false? Next. And okay, one clarifying question. Romantic relationship or friendship? Romantic. Romantic. Okay. False. All right. Matt says false. <laughs> I'm, I'm imagining you with a crayon writing that. <laughs> <laughs> like a child. I'm just drawing uh, dicks. <laughs> I'm not even listening to you. I'm just drawing a bunch of dicks. <laughs> All Typical. Right. Gaius Baltar is unwittingly elected to political office. True or false? God damn it. These are so good. So hard. Ah, <laughs> uh, Damn. That's the toughest one yet. Not bad. Uh, I'm going to also go with a big old F. False. Maddie says false. President Roslin plays politics and gains an unlikely ally while hurting a close friend. Ooh. True. Matty Ice says true. <laughs> and finally, there's a name that you might have been expecting. Tom Zarek's relationship with an assassin causes a rift between him and his supporters. Ooh. <laughs> Regardless of the answer to this question, I do hope that you're not dicking with me and Tom Zarek's in the next episode. <laughs> <laughs> I really want that. Um... So what's the question again? His, no his relationship with an assassin jeopardizes damages his right. relationship okay. with his supporters. I feel like from the episode he was introduced in, he used violent means, and I can't imagine his supporters would be too upset with him having violent shit. Oh, damn, that's another hard one. 
I'm going to say, you know what? True. All right. Just to recap, ladies and gentlemen, if you're following along at home, here are the questions and Matt's answers. Starbuck pursues a romantic relationship with an unlikely character. Matt said false. Guy Spaltar is unwittingly elected to political office. Matt says false. Tom Zarek's relationship with an assassin causes a rift between he and his supporters. Matt says true. President Rosalind plays politics and gains an unlikely ally while hurting a good friend. Matt says true. Hila learns about Sharon's true identity but decides that she is different and moves forward with her. Matt says true. Oh, yeah. Boom, bitch. There's your answers. Let me throw away the old one here. Actually, I got to keep the old one. Hang this one up on the wall till next week, man. (laughs) Nice. Sorry, I was sticking it into the wall. (laughs) All right, dude. There are the questions. Awesome. I look forward to if you're right or not. Me too. I guess we'll find out when you're done watching Colonial Day. (laughs) Boy, I'm like ready to watch it now. Go for (laughs) it. So good. Let's. Uh, it's a it's a it's a cool episode. It's it's one of my favorite moments by one of my favorite characters happened in that episode. <laughs> I'm going to assume Ty does something cool. <laughs> uh, maybe you will. Maybe or you Gaius. Won't. Oh, maybe you will. Maybe you won't. Good sir. All right, Matthew. Give me what yes. you got. <laughs> Anything you missed. Do you want to explain the battle again? I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know what? Here, I'll go ahead. Everybody break out your notebooks. You're actually going to need gridded paper for Guys, this Guys, get one, your so gridded paper really... and your minis. We're going to go ahead and, and show you exactly what happened because we get fumbled. Get your protractors it. out. Uh, it's going to get real technical. We're going to add about another hour and a half to this podcast. Okay, the um, angular velocity of the Viper was. <laughs> back and to the left, back and to the left. Um, final thoughts? No. Final th- as far as final thoughts, you know, I feel, to be honest, Pretty tapped for this episode. I don't feel like I have a lot to say for Final Thoughts because this is one of the most, you know, there's a lot of really great character moments, but they are much more pushing uh, forward a, a, a very straightforward plot in a way, you know, and that, that plot has some twists and turns in the actual execution of the battle, but it's a pretty straightforward, you know, military episode. And yeah. I really, really enjoyed it. It was such a blast to watch. Finally got some more space battle action. It's just, ah, it's just good shit. Um... As far, you know, this damn show, it's still, it's just layers and layers upon mystery about Six and Gaius and Hilo and Boomer and fuck, I I still, I'm left with way more questions and answers, which as much as I'm exasperated by it, I love it. I'm not complaining at all. Um, But damn, I, at this point, I feel like I, you know, I could have predicted more or or thought of where stuff was going to go back on Caprica. At this point, I have no idea where that's going to go. I am totally just like, well, damn. I think that boomer has truly gone rogue. I don't know what's going to become of them. I still don't know. The the craziest thing, and I feel like we come back to it every episode, at least I do, uh, is just what in the hell could they possibly want from Hilo? Mm. Why the facade? (laughs) Why put all this shit on? What? I'm sure everybody else who's watched the show is cackling just like you, like a fucking ass, <laughs> knowing what exactly what happens and watching me dance, fucking mere mortal among you. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's totally baffling. It is it is such a baffling enemy. They are so inhuman. They have definitely. We've seen the human copies display human emotions and have human traits, but they're larger overall goals still seem totally alien i, I mm. can hardly decipher them and i i love it it's fantastic i i truly am left to wonder it's a mystery um so I, i'm looking forward to where that goes but i have 
God, I have no real prediction as far as where it's going to end up. Um, but yeah, and I feel like this victory, there's a part of me that even wonders, I'm not going to lie, if this entire operation, if that whole operation of the Cylons on that asteroid to mine for Telium is still part of their larger conspiracy and they were okay with that loss, maybe even anticipating it, like knowing that, I mean, we've been, you know, it's funny, one thing that is strangely absent from this episode and it, it, it slips by uh, on first watch but there's no talk of Cylon agents or cells anymore, mm. whereas that was the primary focus of the last you know, two, three episodes. And I think it's, it's easy to overlook. It's like, well, guys, so that's been a huge concern that there have been Cylon agents on board, people who we don't even know about yet, maybe still reporting information. And you just did this entire operation. How sure can you really be that the Cylons didn't know about it? didn't see it coming, didn't already have people reporting, you know, data back to them and they knew where you were going to hit. They, you know, I mean, who knows who, what executive officers might even fucking be Cylons. We don't know. Right. So that was a thing that I thought was interesting, how it all seemed very straightforward. It was all like, ah, we've got the upper hand on them this time. Ha ha. And I'm like, well, do you, do you ever have the upper hand on the Cylons or do they always at least have a, a an inkling of what the humans are up. It's definitely an interesting point, but it but it but it also begs the question: Then what do you do? Just sit around and hope, right? You you they, they come, oh, yeah. there comes yeah. a point where they're like, what are we going to do? What anyone could know. Going, so yeah. he limits it to the people he thinks he can trust. But it is funny yeah. that the whole sleep raging thing has been put a bit on the back burner because the Hadley open. They think they know what some of them look like and they probably just stay on the lookout for them. And until another one activates and we see a new model, then they can't, there's not much they can really do. So they're in a real tight spot with that. They have to just kind of live life and and plan their ops and limit the intelligence to as many people as possible. But I like it. It's, it's uh, boy, great episode. I I like, uh, I like your thoughts on it. I like watching you squirm under the uh, introduction (laughs) of all this religious stuff and, these wacky plans and the fact that you think Caprica Boomer is pregnant. Um, it's <laughs> awesome. I just love that. I love, I love where your head's at with this. And uh, it's a lot of fun to talk to you about as usual. I don't really have final thoughts here. I, I think we've said plenty about this episode and uh, I'm ready to call it a day. Yep. Yep. Me too. All right. Well, we will catch you guys on the flip side. Bye. Bye. <laughs>